So this is our fourth marriage in a little series we've been going on. It's kind of broken up several weeks, but it's on words, obviously. And we've been talking about words and what our words can do. And I just kind of want to review for a few minutes and then jump into a couple more things that I want to share with you this morning. But words, words, what can words do? For your notes' sake, uh, we already talked about this, but let me remind you, words can create your identity. Your words create your identity. Think of the sense of insecurity that can take over a beautiful woman's life because of an ugly word spoken at a critical time in her life, and she goes the rest of her life thinking she's just an ugly person. Think of those who struggle in their entire life or into their adult life thinking that they are nobody and have low self-worth because of a word that was spoken by a teacher, you know, that you're stupid, or a parent saying, I hate you, or I wish you'd never been born, and, and that damage that has been taken place and taken its toll over a sense of time, and, and you just still wrestling with that, all because of some words that were spoken. How many have ever been in a situation where you were having a great day. Things were going good and just enjoying life and somebody just made a comment to you and just wrecked your day. Come on, just, am I, am I just by myself? Am I just, we got some company here. Just wrecked your day and just like all you could think about was that one, one comment that that one person made that maybe wasn't even that significant of an individual in your life, but they made a, a comment to you that just really hurts you and cuts you deep and, and you can't get it off your mind. You go to bed thinking about it. And words are important. They create our identity. I think of Luke chapter uh, 15, the prodigal son's story where the prodigal son had basically taken the inheritance of his father and squandered it and basically robbed his dad of hardworking uh, land that he had purchased over time and now it was gone because the young prodigal had squandered it all on riotous living. Now he realized that he had made a mistake. He was a fool. Maybe the least he could do is go back to his father, ask for forgiveness, and maybe his father would hire him on as a hired hand, definitely not his son. He goes back, makes a journey. You know the story. The father meets him uh, as he's a long distance away and he begins to say to everybody around, hey, I want you all to go around. I want you quickly to go and uh, get, get a robe and put it on him. I want you to get a ring, put it on his finger, put sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate for this. And here's what he, he says is, for this is my, my mine uh, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. They begin to celebrate. His father in one couple of sentences began to reestablish his son's identity. The son saw himself as nothing worth more than just a hired hand. The father said, "You, I don't care what you see yourself as. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't need to hear all the stories. I don't need to hear how you've squandered all the blessings that God has given you. I'm here to tell you with my words from my mouth as your father, kill the fatted calf, put the ring on the finger, get some sandals. We're going to have a party. You are once left. You were dead, but you're now alive. You are my son, and I'm reinstating you into the place and the role that God's called you to. It can change your identity. Words can change your identity. Secondly, we talked about how words can cause us to catch good things. Proverbs 6.2, words really trap good things or bad things, depending on what you say. Number three, we talked about how words build others up. First Thessalonians chapter 5, encourage one another. Build each other up. I like to two frogs, they fell into a ditch and it was a deep ditch and they tried desperately to jump out. One of the other family frogs came hopping by, saw him down in the ditch. Went and got the other rest of the family and the relatives and said, 
They're in the ditch. They all came, they looked down this deep ditch and they realized it was over. There was no way out. The frogs were trying to jump. So they gathered around the ditch, all the family and the relatives and friends and said, sorry, it's been a good journey. Don't spend your energy jumping anymore. Just relax, enjoy the last moments of your life. Just sit and relax. We love you. We'll think of you in frog heaven. Enjoy yourself. One of the frogs listened to what they said. He went and sat in the corner, quit jumping, and just tried to enjoy the last few minutes of his life. The other frog just kept jumping harder and even higher than he had before. And they kept yelling down, just relax, there's no way out. Just relax, no way out. He kept jumping. And to everyone's shock, he jumped out of the ditch. And he hopped over to, you know, the father frog and said, hey, what were you all up here saying? I'm, I'm deaf. You know I'm deaf. I can't, I was reading, I can read your lips. What were you saying? He goes, well, how in the world, how in the world did you get out? How'd you get out? He goes, well, I, I, I saw you all up here cheering me on, waving your arms and everything like that. I, I, I just, I had to jump higher because you encouraged me so much. I guess the question is we have to ask ourselves, are you going to hear God saying keep jumping or are you going to hear the devil say just go ahead and give up and sit in the corner? What words do you hear? And either you're going to tell others to quit jumping and just quit, or you're going to encourage people, say, come on, you can jump out of this ditch, uh, and you need to quit listening. Can I just tell you, you need to quit listening to hell and start listening to heaven and faith and what God has to say to you. Number four, we talked about how words birth things in the earth. Words birth things in the earth. Did you know that words are either useful or they're useless. And that I am a complete composite of everything that I say. Think about that. You're a complete composite of the things that you say. You change your words and you'll change your life. Words are like seeds. And Jesus said, you know, offer up to Offer up to uh, the writer of, excuse me, Hebrews, not Jesus, the writer of Hebrews said, offer up to the Lord the fruit of your lips. What are the fruit of your lips? It's, it's seeds. Give the Lord seeds. It's amazing to me how we live in this world where uh, an apple seed produces an apple, a, you know, grape seed produces a grape, you know, even a dog produces another dog. But when it comes to us, it's not quite the same because we can say things and change what we are or where we're even going. How many faith confessions do you make every day compared to how many fear statements do you make every day? That's why Joel said, let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. It's what are you going to say? The problem is we're tempted to use words the wrong way. We, we use them to complain. We use them to criticize. We use them to gossip. We use them to tear down. We use words to speak doubt and unbelief. We use words to spread all sorts of unnecessary fear into people's lives. And I believe that God is weary of many times the way we use our words. In fact, he even says so in Malachi chapter 2. He says, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about God is weary? The only way God ever gets weary is the words by the words that we use. 
We, we're, we, we can be a people that don't, that we're made into God's image, but yet we can, even though we, we should be bearing this kind of a seed, we bear this kind of seed instead. We, we don't necessarily bear the image of what's inside of us. And God says, you've wearied me with your words. I'm, I'm worn out. But have you ever been worn out by someone's words? I know I have. We, we, we had a, we're pastoring a church in the Midwest, and, and this lady was there, and an older lady, I went and just strike a conversation, be friendly, and hey, how are you doing? My name's JP. She goes, oh, I'm fine. I said, well, that's great. I'm glad to have you. She said, I'm glad to be here. She said, I need you to pray for me. I said, absolutely. She goes, man, I got, I got my back, man. My, bike, my back is like in pain. You know? I said, absolutely. We'll, we'll pray for you. And we prayed for her and everything. And uh, next week she was there, and, and I went up, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. How's the back? Oh, Oh, it's, it's a little bit better, but man, my knees, my goodness, my knees. Just, the doctor said I got arthritis. I got to go back for an, you know, another ex- examination next week and uh, just pray for me. And I said, okay, we'll pray. So I prayed. Third week came, hey, how you doing? How's the back? How's the knee? Oh, that's okay, man. I got some pains in my gut. I don't know what's going on. I'm just upset in my stomach. And I, I'm like, you know, I think we, I got a pattern here. And I, and, and I said, well, man, I tell you, wasn't the worship great today? Didn't we have a great worship experience? He goes, yeah, that was great worship. I tell you what, this pain in my gut, I'm just telling you, I'm on my back and my knees, you know, I just, and I realized over a period of time, it didn't take me long, I'm, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the, in the stack, but I realized that this, this lady, all she loved to talk about was her pains. How I many know over time, you just kind of like, hey, You don't ask how you're doing unless you got 10 minutes or 15 to hear about all the ailments going on and all the doctor's visits she had. One day, actually, I, I said, I can't do this. I can't keep avoiding this lady. This is not right. And, and she, I, said, I said, hey, I'm going to ask you a very important question. She goes, what's that? I said, before I ask you this question, let me just tell you this. We have a miracle working God. He, he is powerful. He can change our lives. And words are very important. So before I ask you this question, I want you to think about what you're going to tell me. Okay? I said, think. She goes, all right. I said, how are you doing? Well, I, I, uh, I'll see you later, Pastor. She had nothing to say. She's out. She's out. Nothing to say. Even if things are bad, we have to speak good. Even if things are, let me say it again, even if things are bad, you have to speak good. Well, that's called lying. Well, no. It's called faith. Because we see things not as they are, but as God sees them, as they can be. There's a story in 2 Kings chapter 4 about this guy named Elisha. He was a prophet, and he, he had a, a guy that worked with him called Gehazi. He was training up to be another prophet. And, and Elisha would come through this particular area uh, from time to time, and this lady and her husband would meet him and so glad to have him. So she said to her husband, we got to make this guy, 
you know, we got to make a room for them because we, I, I like him being around our region. And so they made a, a, a prophet's quarters and they gave him a bed and a table and a chair and said, next time you're around, we, we got to, you can stay with us. You don't have to stay at the inn. And, and so, so that's where he would stay and they became good friends. And, and one day the prophet was there and he, he, he asked her, he says, what, you know, what can I do for you? She's like, oh, I'm good. I'm good. She goes, he said, well, but you don't have any children, do you? And she said, well, no, my husband's too old. And he goes, well, this time next year, you're going to be holding a baby. And she's like, <laughs> okay, whatever. That time next year, she had a baby. And the baby grew up to be a young man. The Bible goes on to tell us how the young man one day got up and went out into the field to join his father for work and said, Dad, my head, my head, my head. I'm, I'm in pain. His father said, well, one of his hired hands could take him back to, to, to the house. And she, he took her back to the house and mama held him until he died. He died. What did the mama do? She went, she laid her son upstairs onto the prophet's bed where he would normally stay if he was there. And she says to her hired hand, go and get me a donkey. I got to take a trip. Doesn't say nothing else. He gets a donkey. She heads off to find the prophet. Prophet sees her come and says to his hired, his, his servant, he says, hey, go ask the lady, uh, what's going on? What's happening? He goes out to her and says, hey, and this is, the, this is the dialogue. She went, came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. It came to pass when the man of God saw her far off, he says to Gehazi, his servant, behold, yonder is the Shunammite. Run now, Elisha says, pray thee to meet her and say unto her, ask her, is it well with you? Now, mind you, her son has just died a few hours before. She's on this donkey. She comes, Gehazi comes to her and says, I have to ask you, it is, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answers, it's well, it's well. Wait, wait, am I missing something? Didn't she just lose her son? Didn't she just, didn't she just have an incredible loss in her life? How can you say it is well? Because you have to learn that even though things are bad, you have to speak what is good. We don't have a choice to go around, oh my goodness, can you, oh my, oh, oh. We don't have that option. Even when it's bad, we must speak it as good. And here's the, here's the most important thing. You have to learn how to keep the bad news to yourself until you're in front of someone who can do something about it. She knew Gehazi couldn't do nothing about it. She's going to tell the news to, to Elisha when she sees him, but this isn't the guy. This isn't the time. It's well. It's okay. We're good. We're good. Oh, where's Elisha? Oh, he's over here. Hey, Elisha. Hey, how's it going? Let me tell you something. My son just died. You know what I'm saying? You gotta know what to, what to say, when to say it, and who to say it to. Don't be talking about all your friends, about all your issues when they can't do nothing about it except just kid you. Oh yeah, I'm Job, yeah, I'm your friend. Hey, you're right, you're right. God doesn't like you, nobody likes you. Oh yeah, I'm your friend, Job. No, 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 you, you, gotta, you gotta only share to the right people. The question is, do you share important things to the right people. And if you don't have anybody in your life to share important things to that, are, that could change your trajectory and your course, then you need to find some new friends. 
I was talking with, with a gentleman recently, and he said, Pastor, he said, uh, would, I'd love for you to pray for me. If you think about me, I said, absolutely, what's, what's up? He goes, well, I was just told by my job, that I, my, my business I work for, that, that I had to relocate to another region and, uh, where I'd lose my job. And he said, I, I'm, I can't relocate. I'm not going to do that. So I'm basically, in a little bit of time, going to be out of a job. I'm like, oh, man. I said, you all right? You doing okay? And he goes like this. I said, uh, what's that? I'm in the palm of his hand. He's got this. I'm not worried at all. I trust my God. How many know that's the kind, that's the kind of faith we speak about? That's the kind of way we approach our situations. Number five, and here's for your notes. What do words do? Words create miracles. And when God sent his son here, the only way John knew how to describe Jesus was calling him the word. He sat down, John, and spent some time with Jesus. He's been around him for a period of time, and now Jesus has gone back to be with the Father, and John's going to sit down. He's going to write out the, the, the diary of Jesus' life, the di everything that he had experienced, and he's trying to describe, how do I describe this individual, this amazing man, this this, this son of God, how do you, how do I even, what do I even call him? And he, I'm sure he's going through all this question in his mind. In John chapter one, first few verses of the very first chapter, when he begins to describe the son of God that he walked with for three and a half years, he said this, in the beginning was the word. He said, he's the word. And the Word, Jesus, was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness is not overcome. It. And the Word became flesh. He described the Son of God as what? The Word. He could have said, oh, and love came down from heaven and manifested himself. He could have said joy, unspeakable and full of glory came all the way from heaven and manifested himself. He could have said peace came like no other dimension that I've ever experienced in the world and dwelt among us. He could have said the miracle maker came, the redeemer came. And no, he chose to use this. The word came and dwelt among us. Why? Because we need to understand that we are made in the image of God. And if the word came and dwelt among us, among us uh, and then died and went to heaven, then that leaves you and I with the capability, the ability to speak the same thing he was uh, into the earth. Uh, now you become the spoken word into the earth uh, and everything he did, you can now do. Wow. Come on, give God some praise. The word lives here. Oh my goodness. Someone he left with us. The creator came, dwelt among us, and left with us the same potential to now recreate. I, I don't want to blow your mind, but you too are a recreator. We can speak things as we sing about this morning into the earth that's not even there. And the only thing that creates is words. How I many know the only thing that God can use to create anything is words? He doesn't use his fist, he uses words. 
Words create, words change situations. Look what God has done with words. He flung stars into place. He put fire into the sun with words. With words, he spoke seeds into the earth. With words, he wrote on two tablets on Mount Sinai and gave them to Moses called the Ten Commandments. With words, he wrote with his finger on a wall for King Belshazzar to see and to fear the living God. Jesus wrote words in the sand and changed a woman's life forever. With words, Jesus spoke and blessed a few pieces of bread and turned it and gave it to 5,000 and fed 5 plus thousand people just with words. With words, Jesus spoke and lightning and thunder and rain immediately would stop because he said, peace, be still. Do you see the power of the spoken word? Oh, you're not getting it. You're not, I don't think you're getting this. If you understand what you can create with your mouth, everything changes. It was Moses. I believe he got it. It was Moses who came to the King Pharaoh and he spoke words of faith and he said, I'm turning this water into blood. It was words that came from Moses' mouth from the throne of God and said, frogs will now crawl out of this river and into this palace. He spoke words and flies swarmed the nation. He spoke words and a plague came across the Egyptian livestock. He spoke words and hell wiped out the fields of grain. He spoke words and locusts became so thick you couldn't even see the ground. Uh, if God can speak uh, and water uh, to water and it hears him, if God can speak uh, and frogs can hear him, if God can speak and bread hears him, then I got some good news for you. You can speak as well and everything in the world hears you because you speak uh, from the word that lives inside of you. You change it all. Oh, I hope you can get this this morning. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, what are you saying? What are you saying? Turn to your other neighbor and ask him this, what are you creating in the earth? Words change it all. Hebrew writers, the writer of Romans says, the word is nigh thee even in your mouth, even the word of faith. So tongues impact my life. I want to give you three things really quickly that that the tongue can do, but before I can share that with you, I have to read the book of James chapter three, an entire passage of scripture, nothing but about the tongue. So it so says, when we, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And likewise, the tongue. A small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, 
and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Wow. The tongue. I want to give you three things that your tongue can do real quick. Number one, your tongue can direct your life. Your tongue can direct your life. But here's this important, it's important to understand this. You can bridle your tongue, but only God can tame it. It takes a supernatural work of God, a supernatural act of God for you to tame this three-inch muscle right here. God has to come supernaturally and change your heart and your mind that what comes out of this mouth is the word of God. A bridle, it's interesting, you've probably been around horses long enough to know how it works, just that little piece of metal that you take a wild horse, if you can just somehow get a bridle onto that wild horse, just because you put a bridle on that wild horse doesn't mean that that wild horse is now tame. That's just the beginning process, amen? You get that bridle on and, and you begin to work that bridle and over time, that horse, that 1,500 pound animal can come under the control of your hand. You can just go this way or go that way and the horse goes and takes that lead but it takes a while for that thing to become tame. Just because you have a bridle doesn't mean it's tamed. It takes constant work, it takes constant effort on your part to, to make sure that this tongue is under control. It talks about how you can take a, you, you, you can take a cruise liner, a, a boat, a ship, whatever. We, we have cruise liners now which are floating cities. You got swimming pools and restaurants and shopping malls and climbing walls and ping pong tables and water slides and hotel rooms and all this stuff floating across the, the, the Atlantic, the Pacific, the Mediterranean, and it's all steered by this small, relatively small piece of metal at the very end of this entire town city on water. And it can go whatever it needs to go and navigate by this little thing like our tongue. It determines the direction of our life. Number two, what does the tongue do? It, it can damage my life. It's like a match, the writer James said. Do you know they say it takes about 11 years for a forest to be restored back to its original place after there's been a fire? Just a small little match. We see it in, out west all the time. A small little match can literally burn entire forests and houses and communities down to the ground. And my words can burn things down. Your words can burn things to the ground, like marriages. Your words can burn a marriage to the ground. Your words can burn a business relationship down to the ground. Your words can burn a friendship that you've had since high school down to the ground. Your words can destroy families and cause them not to even speak together for decades at a time because of what you've said. Your words can destroy a nation and even start wars. What you say is so huge. 
It can damage even your life. Miss O'Leary's cow, 1871, up in Chicago. Sitting there, standing there, excuse me, eating some, some hay, with her hoof, kicks over a lantern, sets the barn on fire, catches the next buildings next to the barn on fire, and over a course of a few hours, destroys much of Chicago. 100,000 people are homeless now. 300 people killed, all from a cow's hoof. That quick. 300 people dead, 100,000 people have no place to live. Your tongue can set entire cities ablaze. For God or for the enemy? Number three, my tongue can determine my life. It can determine my life. James 3, verse 9, again, with the tongue we praise our Lord, our Father, and with it we curse human beings that have been made in God's likeness. It's amazing how the tongue is so unique, yet it can contradict itself. It can praise God one moment, it can curse the next. We're made in God's image, and when God taught Adam how to rule, you know what he said? He said, use your words. Name everything with your words. Take control, take authority. You determine your world and, the, and how things are gonna be simply by your words. When we have our worship team comes, we get ready to close down. James chapter one, verse 26, let me read this one more time. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves. And get this, their religion is what? Their religion is what? It's not there. It's worthless. James chapter 1, verse 26. If you do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, your religion is worthless. If I don't get this thing tamed, my belief system in God has really little value. So how do I bridle the tongue? Here we go, number one. Think before you talk. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need to help me think more. Come on. I'm not thinking enough. <laughs> Look at these scriptures really quick. These are amazing scriptures. Proverbs 21, 23, you can read them at home. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Proverbs 10, 19, sin is not ended by multiplying words, but by the prudent hold of the tongue. I remember when our kids were younger, we would be driving down, you know, the road on a long road trip, and invariably one of our kids would be, you know, nagging or, you know, chiding one of the other siblings. And I'd be driving, Melissa's trying to read a book, whatever, and they're going back and forth, and it's getting, you know, more heated, and my wife would say several times, quit talking. Just quit talking. And they just keep at it. And then she would turn around, and only like my wife could do, she would look at them and she said, why are you still talking? And it would be done. I tried to play the quiet game. I said, play the quiet game. You know, they're like, ah, that's no fun. 
But when my wife said, why are you still talking? My wife even says that to me sometimes. <laughs> why are you still talking? <laughs> Proverbs 17, 27, I like this. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even tempered. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Look at this, Proverbs 18, 13. Answering before listening is both stupid and rude. Have you ever been, we, 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 we've been around couples before, and you probably have too, where you're with them hanging out and just kind of get to know them, and one of the couples will begin to tell a story, and the other one interrupts and goes, hi, and jumps in and stops the other person from telling the story. And you thought, well, that's an anomaly. And then it happens two or three times, four times, interrupting, jumping in, jumping in. I will leave that dinner and on my way home, I go, I see trouble in the future. And secondly, pray and worship. How do you tame the tongue? Pray and worship. Mm. So I got to read this passage. Of this is huge very huge. Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8, a very familiar passage. Isaiah, the great prophet, has this vision from the Lord. And I got to read this for the first eight verses. In the, king, in the year King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphs, or seraphim, angels, and it talks about and describes these angels. And they would say back and forth to each other, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook. The temple was filled with smoke. And, and Isaiah goes, woe is me. Mm. So let me get to the picture. Isaiah has a vision. He's, he's in the Lord's presence. He, he's seeing angelic beings and he's hearing what they're saying. And as he's caught up in the presence of the Lord, everybody say the presence of the Lord. As he's caught up into the presence of the Lord, he only has one thing he can say. Woe is me. Modern translation, dude, I'm messed up. I got issues. Oh God, I got problems. Woe is me. And then he clarifies exactly what he feels he's so messed up about. This is the great prophet, the prophet that prophesies to the nations that they listen to and do what he says. He goes, woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. My tongue is out of control. I say things I should not say. I, I hang around people who talk uh, that they say things they shouldn't say and I listen to what they're saying. I, I'm affected by what they're saying. I, oh God, I'm in your presence. I see angels. I hear what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. All I can say is, oh God, my tongue, my words, my language. And we got problems here. And God knows that. Like so many of us, knows we have problems with our mouth. No, knows that we 
we don't mean to say some things that we say. And God, in his so wonderful mercy, causes one of the angels to fly to Isaiah with a live coal in his hand, which had been taken with tongs from the altar. And he says, he touches his mouth and he touches his lips and he says, your guilt is taken away. I am so thankful that I have a God who can tame my tongue. I can bridle it. I can address the issue. I can put into motion and address what needs to take place. I can begin to make some prayers to the Lord. I can begin to make conscious what I'm saying, but it is God who brings us under control. He has to touch my lips with the coal. So I, I just gotta, I wanna share a little story and we're gonna pray. So I, I've never, I don't think ever shared this story with anyone other than my wife and a couple of friends. I felt I should be transparent with you this morning. I know some people have had issues with their mouth. You cussed like a sailor before you came to Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And, but when I was in the junior high, I, it was cafeteria time and I, I, I didn't cuss, I never cussed at all. I was in junior high, it was a cafeteria and, and we, they were giving us um, like hamburgers that day and, and, I, I, and I was hungry and I, I said to one of my classmates, I said, hey, I could tell you his name and everything. Tell you exactly what he looked like. It, it's, it's, in my mind, I said, hey, are you gonna eat that burger? And he looks up at me and he swears at me. And I was like, and I swear right back at him. I repeated right back to him what he just said to me. I said, fine then, blanky blank. Went and sat down at the end of the table and I'm like, I went, I couldn't think the rest of the day. I went home and we had company over our house and they were all, my parents and they were all in the other room and I sat in the living room, I sat in the chair and I, I just began to cry. I said, God, I don't wanna be that person. I don't want to grow up being that person. I don't know what happened. God, please, I, I beg you, God, please touch my tongue. And don't let me be that person that swears all the time like some of my classmates and people I hear. I don't want to be that person. And I want to tell you that God heard that prayer. And I can say faithfully from that point, I, I've never swore, I don't do that. I, I was so encouraged by Coach Shinnick last week when I, I asked him, I took him out to eat lunch, and I said, really tell me, well, I know coaches have to come to you and ask you this question all the time. You're the most successful Division II coach in history, and you've built a winning team within a matter of years from no teams that didn't, didn't have a team. And, and how did you do it? He goes, well, I tell them, but they don't, they don't want to listen to me. I said, well, what do you tell them? He says, I tell them what I told you all this morning. He said, the most important thing about building a team is you gotta have trust and you gotta have unity. And he says, and so when I tell them there's not gonna be any cussing from us, the coaches, or you as players, everything changes. Trust begins to be built amongst us as players and coaches, and, and, and unity begins to take place so fast, so rapidly, that we just accelerate in our win column. She's all about this. I'm like, yeah, yes. And so 
I'm not one that swears. I don't, you, you know, I hit my hand with a, my thumb with a hammer. Out comes Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, that's, that's what I do. But about six, seven years ago, I was, took some pastors on a retreat. I took them up to a lake that I was very familiar with. And so, uh, and so we're, I said, hey, there's a railroad bridge up here. I want to, let's go up here and jump off. It'll be a lot of fun. We're just hanging out. We've been praying, all that kind of stuff. We needed a break. So we're, we're, we, we're, it's a hot summer day. And so we're boating up to this place. And as we're, so what they didn't know is what I did know. I knew that we were coming to like the beginning part of this lake. And it, it, it begins by the water being emptied out of the, re, the, the, the reservoir, the state, what is it called? The, the, the dam. Uh, okay, so you know what I'm talking about. But that was, that was okay. So the water comes from the bottom of this concrete facility that holds back water. <laughs> and it's very cold. I mean, it's like really cold. And as we're driving up to this railroad bridge, we're gonna jump off this road. There, there's this like steam coming up off the road and, and there's a little chill there and they're like, dude, what, what's going on? I'm like, ah, nothing, it's just, you know, nothing. And so we pull up right next to this trestle and you can climb onto the, from the boat onto the truss and, and climb up this piling and up to the bridge and jump off. And I said, all right, come on. And I tied up, so I didn't want to get in the water. So one guy, oh yeah, I'm going to do it. And so he climbs up on the bridge. I said, all right, now he has no idea that this is like 30 minus below freezing water below here. All right, guys, here I go. Three, two, one, he jumps. And he comes out of the water and one eye won't even open. He can't even talk. And I have to, we reach down trying to rescue him. He can't even move, it's so cold. I am laughing hysterically. This is like the funniest thing I've seen in years. One of our staff guys is about to drown and I'm loving every moment. We get him in the boat and everyone saw how funny I thought that was. And so at once they all charged me and they lifted me up. I said, oh, no, no. They said, oh, yeah, yeah. And they chucked me in that water. Man, I came out of that water so fast. I'm like, okay, that's, that's it. that was wrong. And I'm drying myself off. And uh, we're getting ready to go. And one of the guys goes, um, <laughs> Pastor, I didn't know you cussed. I said, I don't cuss. He goes, yeah, you do. I said, no, I don't. He goes, we chunked you in the water and you cussed. You came out of the water cussing. I'm like, I don't think so. I know me. I don't cuss. He goes, well, we got it on video. <laughs> what? This is taking me this long to even confess. I mean, this is how, I'm like, all right, let me see it. And they showed it to me. And I came out of that water and I cussed. I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm, on, I'm like, I couldn't believe that came out of my mouth. And they all joking, laughing. <laughs> they thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I was destroyed. We drove, we, I drove back the boat and I was quiet. We were supposed to have a devotion that night. I was leading the devotion. And, and I started to lead the devotion. I just wept and cried and asked their forgiveness and broke down. And, 
And they're like, dude, you're making a big deal. This is not a big deal. I said, it's a big deal. This is a very big deal to me. Why is it such a big deal? You just said a couple of cuss words. It's no big deal. Because here's what happened. The enemy took that opportunity. And I'm, not, I'm just being honest, okay? I'm just, I thought to myself, I had no idea I even said that. I had no, I mean, it took a video to prove to me that I even said it. And the enemy started going like, yeah, wait till you preach and you start cussing and you don't even know it. No, I'm not a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm having these nightmares in the middle of the night that I'm just preaching and I drop a couple words, you know, cuss words. And everyone's like, you know, and the whole church empties out. And I'm like, why y'all leaving? You know, I, you think I'm kidding. I mean, I'm having this stark fear. If, if, I don't, if I can say something, don't even know it comes out of my mouth, what's really down here? You see what I'm saying? What, what, what's, what lives down here that I don't even know exists? I mean, I just start saying, God, I, I need you to grab a hold of this thing. Even when I'm minus 30 degrees in water, get hit by a hammer, get run into somebody in my car, I, I want the first thing that comes out of my mouth to glorify you. I don't want nothing hid down here in the corners. I want to glorify you with my tongue. This morning, I believe that there's some here you probably could say, I, I fall in that category. My tongue has said some things. I've hurt people. I've hurt pe my spouse. I've hurt kids. I've said things in my job I shouldn't have said. I say things to myself I shouldn't say. I, I curse God for crying out loud. So this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, I, and me is number one, I, I would like to see a hand lifted and say, Pastor, I need God to tame my tongue. Raise your hand. I want, I want God to tame my tongue. Come on, all across the room, I see it. I see it. Yeah, hands everywhere. Ask God to tame my tongue. Just keep that hand held up. And with the other hand, if you could, I just want you to just touch your lips. Just touch your lips. And Father God, we're praying this morning that you touch our lips, our tongue. We realize, Lord God, we we're unclean in so many ways that we, we, Lord God, need you to take control of our hearts and our thoughts. We realize, Lord Jesus, that we need your help. We can't do this our own. So, Father, we submit our tongues to you. We submit our words to you. We, we pray from out of this vessel will come holiness, righteousness. As Isaiah, Lord God, we are undone. We're undone. God, help us. Help us. Help us. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That is the beginning right here. I want you to lift your hand. I need Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I want to make him the Lord of my life. From this point on, I'm going to turn my life to Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you right there. Lord Jesus, right here, right now. Father, for those that lifted their hands, I pray that you'll come to their heart. I pray, Lord God, you restore their life. In Jesus' name, we thank you for a new day. We thank you, Lord God, for a new start. For you are God of, Lord, the people that need help. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Can we stand to our feet? Can we worship God like Isaiah and give him glory? Can we give him honor? Can we give God praise for all he 